new year generally begins with some sense of hope, a desire for life to be different than past years. Today, we'll be looking at the first step we must take to change our destiny for the better. This message is the first in the series, Remind. The message is entitled, From Old to New, Part 1. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. I'm excited about a new series of messages we're going to start this weekend. I'm going to talk to you for the next several weeks about how to remind, not in the sense of thinking back, but preparing your mind for moving forward. We're going to talk about how important it is to begin to adjust and think about your thinking and begin to think from a more biblical perspective, from God's perspective for your life. And so here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want you to think about the next several weeks as sort of being a course in, in helping you change the way you think. And so every weekend, you're going to attend class. And so uh, what that means is you're going to get the most out of this series if you're here every weekend. So let me encourage you to make plans over the next couple of months as we work through this together. I'm going to take my time to walk you through it. There probably will be about 10 or more messages in this series because I want to try to do a thorough job of laying out for you kind of what we're talking about here, how to help you move forward in this new year so that you're thinking the right way. Today, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 9 is where we are this morning. And I want to talk in just a few moments from from verses 14 through 17 of Matthew chapter 9. I want to talk to you about how to move from old to new, and uh, we'll be looking at this particular topic of the series for this weekend and next weekend. And just so you know, as I'm sort of laying out for you this weekend, this is sort of foundational, this this weekend and next weekend is foundational to everything that we'll be doing for the rest of the time together. New Year, I love them because they represent something to most of us, they represent new hope. That when a new year comes around, many people make new year resolutions because they have hope that in a new year, maybe, just maybe, this this year can be different than last year. Maybe I can conquer that old habit that really plagued me last year. Maybe I can actually lose those five pounds that I wanted to lose last year, or now the ten pounds that I need to lose. Maybe it's just something you want to work on in some part of your life. And every time January comes around for a new year, you have that, that moment of hope that somehow a new year can be different. That's why I love new opportunities and new years. But here's what we must remember. For us to be new in a new year, you have to be a new you. Because if you take the old you into the new year, guess what? The new year will continue to be just what it's been before. And so what I want to help you with in this new year is to help you to bring a new year into, to bring a new you into your new year. And that's going to require something. It's going to require something that most of us don't like. It's called change. Would you say the word with me? Change. All of us have a tendency to resist change. We don't like it. We tend to push it away. It's something we don't easily embrace. There's a human tendency in all of us that while we say with our mouth we want new habits or we want new things to be a part of our life, new patterns to be a part of our relationships. We want these new things. We say that verbally, but in reality, when it comes down to actually doing it, sometimes we don't, we're not very effective at carrying through with the change. So what I want to help you with is to realize that if you're going to have a new year, you have to have a new you, and to have a new you means that you have to do some changing. Jesus talked about this human resistance to change. In Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 14, 
just to set the stage for you, Jesus is beginning the earlier part of his ministry, and he's now taking over where John the Baptist has come before him, prepared people for his coming, and John the Baptist still had some disciples or followers that were, uh, uh, that were loyal to him and taught by him, and so there's this moment of transition from the disciples of John the Baptist to the disciples of Jesus, and they're all trying to figure this stuff out, because Jesus seems to be teaching something that is new, something that's a little different than what what they've heard before about a relationship with God, and they're trying to sort it out and figure it out. So let's take a look at what happens here in verses 14 through 17 of Matthew chapter 9. One day the disciples of John the Baptist came to Jesus and asked, why don't your disciples fast like we do and the Pharisees do? Jesus replied, do wedding guests mourn while celebrating with the groom? Of course not, but someday the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. Let me stop there for a moment. The disciples of John the Baptist had been taught the importance of the spiritual discipline called fasting. By the way, it's what we'll be doing in a few weeks here, a couple of weeks. Actually, I think it's next week that it starts up for us uh, as we begin a new year, encouraging you to set aside some time that you lay a part of your life to the side and focus in on your relationship with God. Nothing wrong with fasting. Very valuable spiritual discipline. Even the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day uh, during Jesus' time, understood the value of fasting. And so while John had taught his disciples about fasting, Jesus had not yet taught his disciples about this important principle. And so John's disciples say to Jesus and Jesus' disciples, why aren't you guys fasting like we are? And Jesus said, well, you've got to understand that the bridegroom is here speaking of himself. And so it's really not a time for fasting. It's time for celebration because the bridegroom, I'm here. And so I'm going to go away one day. And when I go away, that's the time that fasting will be important. But right now, it's a time of celebration. I mean, it's a good good thing to know when it's a time to feast and time to fast. And so Jesus was saying, this is the time to feast. It's not the time to fast. It's the time to feast. But John's disciples were having a hard time wrapping their minds around this. They couldn't grasp it in their thinking, in their limited thinking. Jesus helps them now in verse 16. Besides, who would patch old clothing with new cloth? For the new patch would shrink and rip away from the old cloth, leaving an even bigger tear than before. And no one puts new wine into what? Old wineskins. For the old skins would burst from the pressure, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine is stored in what kind of wineskins? new wineskins so that both are preserved. What I want you to see is that Jesus was saying, I have some new wine for you, some new experiences with God, because wine in the Bible speaks of experiences with the Holy Spirit, God's working in our lives, the kind of, uh, the kind of dimensions of relationship, presence of God that we all long for. And God says here, Jesus says, I want to give you some new wine But for you to get the new wine, you need to be a new wineskin. There needs to be the right container for what I'm going to pour or what I desire to pour in you. And part of that new wineskin was a new way of thinking about God. And I'll talk more about that in just a moment. But notice chapter 5 of Luke because Luke uh, records another aspect of Jesus' words in this teaching. In fact, would you read uh, Luke chapter 5, verse 39 with me? It's going to be on the screens. It's not on your notes, but it will be on the screens. Let's read together. And no one, after drinking old wine, wants the new, for they say. What do they say? What do you say? We all say the old is better. 
Jesus said, here's the problem because I come along and I want to give you some new wine, but it's going to require new wineskins, new receptors, new, if you will, containers, a new way of thinking about God. But here's the human tendency. When you have the old, you always want to revert back to the old. You always want to say, well, the old is better. And this was the problem that people had during Jesus' ministry. They were always wanting to go back to the old way of relating to God rather than to find the new way of relating to God as Jesus was trying to describe. The old way of relating to God was all about rules, regulations, and rituals. Say those words with me. Rules, regulations, and rituals. That if you could just do all the rules externally and if you could follow all the regulations and go through the right rituals at worship and do all these things externally, you were okay with God. That was the mark of being, if you will, approved by God. And Jesus comes along and says, no, 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 no. The way I want you to think about God and relate to God and to build a new wine skin for the new wine is to realize that God is foremost and first interested in what is in you it's about a relationship with God personally and then out of those out of that relationship will come your obedience to what is right in your life and so religion which is what was the old wineskin pointed to external rules and regulations Jesus comes along and says no the right way to think about God is relationship that leads you to really true righteousness righteousness of life now this was a conflict for people and what had to happen for them to embrace Jesus is they had to have a change in the way that they thought about walking with God and relating to God Jesus in many times address this. Let me take you to Matthew chapter 23, verses 25 and 26. Again, I'm laying foundation this weekend, so stay with me through this foundational part. It's very, very important where we will go in the future in this series. Verses 25 and 26, Matthew 23. Jesus now speaking to the religious people who are thinking externally about relationship with God. What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees? Hypocrites, for you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and dish but inside what's the problem you are filthy full of greed and self-indulgence you blind Pharisee first wash the inside of the cup and the dish and then the outside will become clean too so wow Jesus says hey let's flip this thing around your mind your thinking about God is not in the right place you clean the outside of the cup think about this water bottle for a moment Let's say it was dirty on the outside and dirty on the inside. Now, the water is meant to be consumed, correct? And so if I've got dirty water on the inside and dirty bottle on the outside, if I spent all of my time cleaning the bottle on the outside and still drank the dirty water from the inside, what would you say about me? Probably not nice things, okay? He doesn't really know what he's doing, okay? He doesn't understand this thing. What needs to happen is there really the purification, focus of purification needed to be where? On the inside. And Jesus said, you're not even thinking about God the right way. What really matters was what goes on in your heart. Because if you get the cleanness inside, you will then have the desires and the tools to bring about the cleanness on the outside as well. And so Jesus really drives down this thinking about God. Notice chapter 15, verses 18 through 20. It continues here. But what people say with their mouths come from the way they think. 
These are the things that make people unclean. What makes people unclean? The way they what? They think. What's going on? Where, where do you think at? On the inside. Out of the mind come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual sins, stealing, lying, and speaking evil of others. Let me stop there for a moment. You see all those things? Murder, adultery, sexual sins, stealing, lying, speaking evil of others. Where do all those things come from, Jesus says? Where? Out of the mind, out of your thinking. Okay, so if your thinking is not right about God and how you relate to God, what will your behavior be? It'll not be the right kind of behavior. These things make people unclean. Eating with unwashed hands does not make them unclean. And so Jesus is saying, you've got to be new wineskin so that I can pour in the new wine. That is, we have to be willing, if we're going to move forward this year and become a new you for a new year, we have to be willing to change the way we think about God, to change the way we think about ourselves, to change the way we think about other people in context of our relationship with God. Why? Because the Jesus way of life is different from the world's way of thinking. Amen? Do I need to say that again? The Jesus way of life is very different from the world's way of thinking. And how have we been trained? All of us have been trained in what kind of way of thinking? The world's way of thinking. And so many, many times in our life, we're making decisions out of a worldly, world's way of thinking, if you will, a worldly mindset. And so we end up affecting, negatively affecting our relationship with God and others because we're not thinking the right way. We need some new wineskins for our new wine. And so today I'm going to help us to get started on that journey. I've laid that foundation. Now let's begin the process of getting on with the journey. So I'm going to give you three things today, three things only to remember as we're starting out together this new year. First of all, remember Remember this, believe this, God has new for you. God has new for you. Not for just someone else, He has new for you. God has new for me. Say that with me. God has new for me. See, if you're going to move from old to new, you need to know and you need to believe that God has you on his list of candidates for the new. If you don't believe that you're even on the list of a candidate for the new, guess what? You'll never even pursue it. You have to believe that this is possible, that God has some new wine that he wants to pour into your life. Now, please understand this. The new that God has for you, listen closely, is that God wants to do something new in you. The new that God has for you can best be described by the fact that God wants to do something new in you. See, oftentimes we think of new, we think, well, I'm going to get a new job, I'm going to move to a new place, I'm going to get a new husband, a new wife, I'm going to get new kids, whatever it might be. Just give me something new. But no, the new that God's going to do in you is a work that happens where? inside of us. It's a work, and that requires cooperation. Any work of God in you requires cooperation from you. God will never force anything on you. You have to work with God. It's true in the natural realm. If you're going to change, you have to always cooperate with the process. If you want to get in shape physically, guess what? You actually have to do some exercises. 
You can't just sit back and pray that the pounds will melt off, okay? <laughs> prayer does not deliver you from excess weight. It doesn't, okay? Fasting might, but prayer doesn't, okay? Prayer doesn't deliver. You know, a diet, a good diet book is not going to deliver you from excess weight. You can read an entire, you can read like 500 diet books and still be exactly where you are. You can actually memorize the chapters in diet books and it not change you one bit. You can put it under your pillow every night and just lay there and just say, Oh God, may this become reality in my life. But until you actually back away from the plate or stop going to the refrigerator and get on the treadmill or do whatever it is that you need to do, we understand these applications, nothing is going to change. And so change always involves your will. It always involves your cooperation. So when God says, I have something new for you and new that I want to do in you, that requires cooperation from us, correct? We have to be willing to be involved in the process. Now, let me tell you about one guy because I'll quickly tell you the story. You know the story fairly well if you've been around church at all. It's a story of a man by the name of Saul of Tarsus. Anybody remember Saul of Tarsus? He became the Apostle Paul, if that helps you a bit. You can read this story in Acts chapter 9. Saul of Tarsus before he met Jesus, he was actually a murderer, he was a hater, he was a persecutor, he was a very proud, self-righteous man. His thinking about God was all messed up. I mean, messed up big time. So much so that you can read in Acts chapter 8, 7 and 8, he stood by as, as one of the great men of the church, Stephen, was, was actually martyred for his faith. He held the coats of those that threw the stones and actually stoned Stephen. So this was the kind of guy that he was. He was, he was hardened. He was, a, he was resistant. He hated anything to do with Jesus. Anything to do with Christ or the church, he hated it. He wanted to stamp out every dimension of Christianity that he possibly could. Now, please understand something about Saul. No one including the best Christians, ever believed that Saul would change. If you were to create a list, the least likely to be saved, you know who the top person on the list would be back then? Saul of Tarsus. That guy's never going to meet Jesus. He's just, he's a lost cause. There's no way that he will ever meet Christ. By the way, don't ever say that about anybody. Because God knows how to get to anybody, Amen. And so Saul's trucking along one day, heading up to Damascus. He's going up there to persecute, throw in jail some Christians. I mean, he's on a high. He's expecting to do what he loves doing, stamping out the name of Jesus, what he feels like is his mission in the world. And so he's going up to Damascus, Syria, from Jerusalem. He's on that road to Damascus, and God strikes him down with light. Acts chapter 9, read about it. And so he's stricken. He's down on the ground and God reveals Himself, Jesus reveals Himself to him. But there in that moment, this is a part that many people don't understand. There in that moment, Saul still had to make a decision as to what he was going to do in that moment. He had to decide, will I change my mind about who Jesus is? I have thought of Jesus as being someone to oppose, but now I'm meeting him in a new way. Will I change my thinking about him and embrace him now as the resurrected Savior and the resurrected Lord? Will I invite him, if you will, into my life? Will I turn my life over to him because I'm going to change the way I think about him? See, real salvation, I'll talk about more in a moment, happens when you change the way you think about Jesus. 
When you really believe, that's a thought process, that Jesus is who He said He is and that He died on the cross for you and He rose again victoriously from the grave, when you choose to believe that, to think differently about who Jesus is in truth and in, 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 in veracity, then what happens is salvation occurs in your life. So Saul's life was changed when he changed his thinking about Jesus there on the road to Damascus. Your life will change when you change your thinking and become more godly in the way that you think. Here's a promise for you in Isaiah chapter 43, verses 18 and 19. But forget all that. Let's forget the former things, one translation says. It is nothing compared to what I am going to do. Now, God has done some incredible things in all of our lives, but here's the good news. He still has even better things to do in your life. That tells me that my best is not behind me. My best is in front of me. Amen? Let's continue on. God says this, for I am about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wastelands. This has certainly prophetic application to Israel during her time, the time of Israel nationally, but it also applies to us. What we see here is that God is a God that loves to give you promise for your future. God is a God that loves to say to you, I have something new for you. I have something new I want to do in you. If you don't want to say amen, I'll say amen to myself right there. Amen? Okay, number two. To get the new, you must let go of the old. Don't let the simplicity of the statement rob your thinking of the profundity of it. To get the new, what must you do? You must let go of the old. It is impossible it is impossible to hold two substantial things at the same time. You cannot, it's just impossible to hold two substantial things at the same time. If I were to ask a volunteer to come to the platform, if I were to ask you to hold out both of your hands, and if I were to fill up your hands with rocks, just a whole pile of rocks, and then I would also tell you now, by the way, I want to fill up your hands with your favorite candy, what, would, what must you do to get the candy? You have to drop the rocks to get the candy. You can't hold both of them at the same time. And the same is true as we think about our, our thought process. You cannot hold on to the old and the new at the same time. It's just impossible. That's why the religious folks had such a difficult time with Jesus because they didn't want, they said the old is better. We'd like to kind of, Jesus, can we just take the new and patch it on over here? We're going to hold on to the old cloth, but we'll take the new patch and try to apply the new patch to the old clothing. We want both. Can we have both? And Jesus said, no, it doesn't work that way because what happens is if you try to sew in a new patch onto old clothing, what's going to happen? It's going to rip. Whenever you wash it, then the new is going to shrink, it's going to have an effect, and it's going to pull away. He says you can't put new wine into old wineskins. What's going to happen is the old wineskins are all fragile and they're, they're very, uh, very dehydrated. And so what happens is it's going to burst. The new wine, as it goes through its fermentation process, will break those skins. It will all be spilled out. What was Jesus teaching? Jesus was teaching us, you can't have the old and the new to get the new. What must you let go of? 
the old. Listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 9, verses 16 and 17 again. Besides, who would patch old clothing with new cloth? For the new patch would shrink and rip away from the old cloth, leaving an even bigger tear than before. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, for the old skins would burst from the pressure, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine is stored in new wineskins so that both are preserved. And so the new and old don't go together very well. They're a destructive combination. So you can't hold on to your old ways of thinking and try to patch on some new ways of thinking. Let me tell you what this means for you and me. If you want a better life, anybody want a better life? My hand's up on that one. Anybody want better habits? My hand's up on that one. Anybody want some better relationships? My hands. Anybody want a better future? My hand's up on that. Okay, to get a better, all those things, you have to think better. There has to be better thinking. Because all, as you'll see in a moment, all, the, all your, your thinking is producing all those things. Whatever your future is going to be is determined by how you're thinking right now. If you don't think the right way right now, it will affect where you are a year from now and five years from now and ten years from now. And so our thinking has to be changed. We have to give up the old. Now, here's the challenge. Remember I told you nobody likes to give up old, Right? Oh, you know it. You've got a pair of old slippers at your house that you cannot get rid of, okay? I mean, you love those things. They're falling apart. Some of you got like, like jerseys that you wear. They've got holes in them like this, okay? Oh, I love that jersey. I love that sweatshirt. Well, you, I just don't, I can't give it up. That's the human tendency to hold on to the old. Here's what's going to have to happen. If you're going to let go of the old, you have to admit your need to change. Wow, it's hard, isn't it? To really admit, I need to change the way I think. There's no change, there's no deliverance that will ever happen in a person's life until they come to the point of admitting they have a problem. It's only when you admit that you have a problem, admit that you have a need in your life to change, that change will ever happen. And it has to be a gut level. Excuse that term, but that's the best term I can use. It has to be a gut level awareness I need to change the way I think and then you have to then from the admission you've got to be willing to address your fear of change because you don't know where you know when you start changing you're not quite sure where you're going with all this okay and so it's kind of fearful to think about change there's always fear related to change and so you have to be willing to address that fear to recognize yeah it's there but I'm gonna have to work through this and you have to overcome not only your fear but your resistance because there are a lot of forces you have been the way you are for a long time you've been thinking the way you think for a long time and so if you now suddenly say I'm gonna break out of this mindset I've had for a long time what's gonna be pulling you back the old mind that you've had for a long time, okay? And so it's, there's going to be resistance. Don't think that this is going to be easy. I'd love to tell you that starting out 2014 that I'm just going to line you up and I have a change your thought stick I'm going to whack you with, okay? You're going to walk by everybody one by one. I'll whack, change thought, whack, change thought. No, it's not going to happen. You're going to fight some battles. Everybody say battles. And you're going to have to be up for this thing because, but I tell you, it's worth it. The battle is worth it if you'll fight it because it's going to set you free and bring great blessing to your future. So you've got to say, I'm, I know I need to change. Anybody would agree with me today? There's some thinking you have that needs to change. Anybody on, on that with me, right? I'm asking for your, your honest admission. You've got to be willing to say, oh, yep, it's going to be fearful, but I'm going to address it. And you know what? When, it, when I'm fine resistance, I'm going to fight my way through it. One of the best things you can do today 
if you don't do anything else today out of this message, is to tell God I'm willing to change. It's amazing right there. You know, there's that, that will separate you from about 90% of the people in the world. When you say, God, I am willing to change. Now, here's our final last point. To change your life, very simply, I've already said it, but write it down, you must change your thinking. To change your life, you must change your thinking. Let me just quickly walk you through how relationship with God happens. I spoke of it a moment ago with Saul of Tarsus when he met Jesus. Before you meet Christ, you have a thought process about Jesus. You may mentally assent, yeah, he's a historic figure, maybe he's religious, maybe he says he's the son of God, but you haven't, before you really become a true believer in Jesus Christ, you have not embraced him in a personal way because that's what salvation is. Salvation is when you embrace Jesus in a personal way. It's when you come to believe that Jesus didn't just die generically on a cross and didn't just rise, even though you might mentally assent that he was maybe claims to be the resurrected Savior. But becoming a Christian happens when that becomes personal to you. When you say, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me, that I deserve to die for my sins, but Jesus died for my sins, hallelujah, okay? And I believe that Jesus Christ actually rose from the grave, and I believe that when he rose from the grave, he proved that he was the Son of God. I now choose to believe with my heart the Bible says, Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so I believe now in my heart. Let me tell you what your heart is. Your heart in the Bible is another word for your soul. And your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. It's every part of your inner being. It's your personal being. Your mind, your will, and your emotions. I believe with my heart, I believe with my soul, I believe with my mind, will, and emotions, okay, that Jesus Christ rose from the grave, and then when that happens in a personal way, you come to think differently about Jesus in a personal way. You know what the Bible says happens? You are saved. There's a moment in time that is a miraculous moment. Your life is transformed. You are born again. Thank God that in that moment, that miracle happens, and you become a new creation in Jesus Christ. Amen? Isn't that great? That happens. It's phenomenal. Okay? But here's the problem. Even after that, you still have some messed up thinking. You may be saved, but you're saved with some messed up thinking. Not all of your mind has been convinced of truth. Not all of your mind gets it yet. See, you're on a growth journey. You're on a process where you're learning more truth. And the more truth you learn, the more freedom you walk in. You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. See, that's this whole thing, but it's called education. Educating your soul, educating your mind, so that you begin to think like God thinks. You think about God the way you're supposed to think about God. You think about yourself the way you're supposed to think about yourself. You think about other people the way that you're supposed to think about them. And that is a journey over time that requires some investment on your part. 
The Bible says we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. And that doesn't just happen mysteriously or magically. It is something you've got to invest yourself in. You're involved in this process of getting your mind spiritually educated to truth that will set you free. Notice what the Scripture says in Proverbs chapter 4, verse number 23. Read it together with me. Be careful what you think. Because your thoughts, what are your thoughts doing right now? They're running your life. Proverbs 23, verse 7, for as he thinks, or as a man thinks in his heart, what? So is he. That is your life as a reflection of what you're thinking in your heart. Jesus says it this way in Matthew chapter 12, verses 33 and 34. If you grow a healthy tree, you'll pick healthy fruit. If you grow a diseased tree, you'll pick worm-eaten fruit. The fruit tells you about the tree. Well, time out. What's Jesus talking about here? He's talking about trees, right? He's talking about trees that are good, create good fruit. Trees that are bad, bad fruit, right? Well, let's see. Is he really talking about trees? Go to the next verse with me. You, You have Mind, so he's relating, this is a metaphor, this is a picture, this is an analogy. Jesus said, your mind is like a tree. And if your tree is good, you'll have good fruit. If your tree is bad, you'll have bad fruit. You have minds like a snake pit. You know, there are a lot of people like that. How do you suppose what you say is worth anything when you're so foul-minded? It is your heart, not the dictionary, that gives meaning to your words. And so Jesus said, the issue is like a tree. The tree, get it, it's your mind. It's where the fruit comes from for your life. So if you're going to change your life, you have to change the way that you think. I need to wrap this up today, uh, and I'm going to give you a few illustrations of this so it will help you to understand how this really works. Everybody still with me so far? Remember the children of Israel when they came out of Egypt? Remember that? Okay, and how Moses parted the Red Sea. God did through Moses' uh, rod and this great moment. And the children of Israel came through the Red Sea into the wilderness, heading toward the promised land. Now, when they crossed over the Red Sea, were the children of, of God, were the people of God delivered from Egypt? Were they? Yes, absolutely. Because even the Egyptians were drowned in the Red Sea, right? Correct? Am I telling you the truth, okay? At least nod your head or do something, okay? Okay. Drool or something. Just let me know you're with me, all right? But I want you to understand that although they were, were they out of Egypt? Yes, they were out of Egypt. But here's a better question for you. Was Egypt out of them? (laughs) Because they're like three days in, they're grumbling, saying, hey, let's go back. It was so much better back there. What? You've been there for 430 years as slaves, and now you're saying it's better back there? See, their thinking was all messed up, right? God even brings them to entrance to the promised land. Moses sends 12 spies in, and they ask for a report. The spies come back. Ten spies say, we don't think we can. We don't think this is going to be a good thing for us. We don't think that we can go in and take the promised land. Joshua and Caleb said, we think we can because God is with us. So you've got ten people that says, we don't think we can, and two that says, we think we can. Let me tell you something. The ten that didn't think they couldn't, didn't. 
They died in the wilderness along with the entire generation of people spent 40 years of their life going around a mountain time and time again, never entering into the promised land. You know why? Because they didn't think the right way. And I watch it all the time. I watch people go around the same loop once again every year. Okay, you're going around again? Yeah, going around again. Because their thinking never changes. You understand what I'm saying? It was all about thinking. See, it was not, he had 10 that influenced the larger group, two that said, no, we're going to think the right way. How about Esau? Anybody remember Esau? Okay. Esau was the firstborn of Jacob. Uh, uh, was it Jacob? I believe it was. No, Esau and Jacob were the, were the brothers. When you preach a lot, you have to remember all these stories. Okay. So. And so here's Esau, he's a hunter, he goes out to hunt one day, he comes back in, he's really hungry, and Jacob's in the house, he's making up some really good food, man, it smells good, and Esau says, man, I'm really hungry, could I have some of that soup, it smells so good, and Jacob, being the conniving guy that he was, says, you know what, have I got a deal for you, all you got to do, Esau, is give me your birthright, and I'll give you a bowl of soup. And something in Esau said, I think that's a good idea. Okay. He gave up his birthright because his thinking was all messed up. He traded that. We could go on and on. David sacrificed so much for his life when he went up on a rooftop and he started thinking about who? Bathsheba instead of thinking about his relationship to God and what he ought to be doing the right way. There's time and time again. Let's go to the other side. How about the Apostle Paul? You put him in a Roman prison and he keeps his mind straight. His mind stays so straight that he writes some of the best books of the New Testament when he's locked up and chained up in prison. Why? Because you could chain his body, but you could not control his mind. He had a mind that was set on Christ. You see what I'm saying? See, it is not your circumstances that determine what happens with your life. It is how you think about your circumstances that affect where you go with your life. See, never underestimate the power of this thing God has given you called your mind. And when you set your mind in accordance with what Christ has called you to, how He's called you to think, it's amazing what happens. I could take you literally from every book of the Bible, Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation, and I could guarantee I could find at least one, if not multiple examples in every book of the Bible of people who either thought the wrong way or thought the right way and where it led them in their journey with God and their experience with life. You can see it all through the pages of Scripture. And the good news is that you can do something about it. You don't have to stay this way the rest of your life. You can change your life if you will do what? Change the way you what? Think. And God's not going to do it for you. You hear me? Oh, he's going to help you. He has the power to help you. He won't do it for you. You've got to invest yourself in the process. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. We're so grateful for a reminder in this new year that, Lord, you're calling us to change our lives, to become a new you for a new year. And that requires a changing in our thinking. And I pray for each one of us that you would help us to admit where we need to change and how we need to change. To be willing to address the fear of change. Lord, all of us have that fear. What is this going to look like? And how is this going to happen in our lives? And also to be willing to fight those battles that will happen in our mind in the days to come. And Lord, we thank you for the transformation that will occur as we do so.
And Father, I pray this morning as well, especially for those among us who perhaps have never given their life to Christ, I pray that in this moment, you would help them to respond to you. Let this be the moment to say, Jesus Christ, be the Lord of my life in Jesus' name. Hi, I'm Pastor Dale O'Shields. I want to thank you for listening to our broadcast of Practical Living. I trust it was a blessing to you, and I trust that you're growing in your spiritual journey. Or perhaps you've never even started your spiritual journey, and today this is your opportunity to make a decision to move forward, getting to know Jesus Christ, letting Him have control of your life. See, the Bible says of Jesus that He stands at the door and knocks, and if anyone will hear His voice, you can open that door and let Him in. If you've never invited Jesus Christ into your life, today is the day that you need to do it. In fact, I'm going to lead you in a prayer right now. If you'll pray this prayer sincerely with all your heart, mean it with all your heart, Jesus Christ will come into your life. Repeat this prayer after me. Say these words. Say, Jesus, I know that I am a sinner and I'm sorry for all the things I've done wrong in my life. I believe in you. I believe you are God's Son, the Savior of the world, that you died for me and rose again. Just simply tell Jesus, I believe in you. Now open up your heart and say, Jesus, come into my life. By faith, I receive you as my Savior, my Lord, in Jesus' name. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me just then, sincerely, I want you to know something. Jesus heard it, and he saved you. You're a new creation in Christ. You get a brand new start in your journey with God. But now you have to grow. You have to learn what it means to be a follower of Jesus every day. And so we want to help you get started. And we have some resources available on our website that will do so called New Beginnings. So check them out. And again, I want to thank you for being a part of today's broadcast. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to www.church-redeemer.org slash newbeginnings.